One of the fastest growing sectors in the fashion and apparel industry has been the resale market, fueled by price and environmental concerns. So what are the opportunities and challenges for retailers and investors? And how will the macro challenges facing today's consumers affect the sector? The conversation that's at the forefront, particularly of the young generation, but it's impacting all generations, is the impact of fashion on the planet. I'm Allison Nathan, and this is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. help explain how changing consumer preferences have boosted the popularity of shopping secondhand, I'm sitting down with Karen Levin, a managing director in the consumer retail group in our investment banking division, and James Reinhardt, CEO of ThreadUp, an online consignment and thrift store. James, Karen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Thanks Good for to be having here. us. By all accounts, secondhand style is booming. So, Karen, first, just give us a sense of the size of the resale fashion market and what drivers have gotten us here. Absolutely. So in 2021, the global secondhand apparel market was just shy of $100 billion. And if you think about where it's headed over the course of the next five years, it's expected to more than double. So there's been a number of factors that are fueling this outsized growth, but two of the most salient ones for me have been technology and conscious consumerism. And so unpacking the technology component first, some of us will recall the days of thrift when it actually involved a physical store that you went into to be able to buy something secondhand. And so pioneers like eBay at the time really unlocked the ability to have access to product that wasn't geographically close to you. That was really the depth of the innovation for a very long time until there was another wave of innovative companies such as ThreadUp that really brought technology innovation into the modern age. And they innovated the platforms, they innovated the curation of the assortment, all of the technology infrastructure that was in the back end to support and unlock and really bring a new generation of consumers to the secondhand or the resale market. So technology has been a huge factor in terms of the growth that we have seen recently, as well as the growth going forward. And then conscientious consumerism, the conversation that's at the forefront, particularly of the young generation, but it's impacting all generations, is the impact of fashion on the planet. How can you minimize or reduce your impact? And so resale is a very natural way to be able to both curate your own closet in a conscious way, as well as to make new purchases that are going to have less carbon impact, less waste, etc. So two powerful factors. And so we're hearing a lot about sustainable fashion, and that's a key element of this secondhand resale market. Can you talk a little bit about what that encompasses? As I think about sustainable fashion, it's more of an umbrella in term that encompasses a lot in addition to what you might think of as resale or rental. And it's actually from creation through to disposal. When people talk about sustainable fashion, it can encompass the sourcing of the components to produce the product, the manufacturing practices that are used being clean or green. So it doesn't just have to be a secondhand good. It could be a newly produced product when customers are thinking about participating in sustainable fashion. Let's dig in a little bit more into the environmental benefits that you mentioned. The fashion industry today accounts for a relatively large share of global carbon emissions. So how much environmental benefit could secondhand fashion offer? 
there's very tangible ways you could think about secondhand extending the life of a product by physically delaying disposal into a landfill by having multiple cycles of different owners. And then there's the deferral or decrease in demand for new products by somebody opting to purchase resale fashion. As you think about all of the resource usage for producing those new products, including the carbon footprint, you're eliminating that from the demand part of the equation and the supply side will mirror that reduction in demand. So as you continue to see more secondhand or resale purchasing, it can offset or reduce carbon footprint for products that never even get produced. James, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that research and what you've observed. Yeah, I think on the sustainability side, it's very clear that once the clothing is made, resale is like the best thing you can do to drive sustainability. Buying a secondhand product typically uses it's like 82% less resources across carbon, uses a tenth of the amount of electricity, a tenth of the amount of water. So it really is, once the product has been made, resale is probably the best thing that a consumer can do. I think as Karen said earlier, I think there's going to be this full reinvention of the supply chain. It's probably going to take a decade or more. I think the same thing you're seeing in cars, for example, you got to redo the batteries and the charging infrastructure. I mean, I think apparel is similar. Like you have to change the way you produce denim for it to be recycled and for it to hold up in resale context. You have to change the way you produce virgin cotton. So there's lots of stuff, I think, in the industry that needs to evolve. And our approach is to take it from the point of view of it has been made. And while we hope over time that retailers will make less, let's do the best that we can to recirculate as much as we can. And I think that's where the consumer is coming to us. So let's take a step back. And James, let's talk about your story. You founded ThreadUp. It's one of the largest secondhand retailers. Walk us through what pushed you to start it. I think if you go back 10 years ago to what was happening in the world at the time, I think as Karen talked about earlier, like this technology change, it was also, we're only 12 years from the invention of the iPhone. And you had mobile and you had the iPhone and consumer behavior changing everywhere. So people were listening to Spotify, they were streaming Netflix, they were booking Ubers, they were staying in Airbnbs, and you had this whole consumer behavior change. And at the time, I didn't think apparel would be immune to that. And you saw definitely like the growth of direct consumer companies and many of them sustainable ones. And that was all well and good. But I thought that secondhand would not be any different in that way. Like it would also undergo some structural change. And we've had thrift stores and Goodwills forever, it feels like, but there have been no real innovation. And so from my perspective, you had a real opportunity to reinvent how secondhand would happen on the internet. And you had eBay and Craigslist that were launched in the mid-90s, but they looked pretty much the same today and they're big businesses, but changed the way consumers engaged in these markets. And ThreadUp was founded to do that. So to make it very easy for you to clean out your closet, one of the friction points we saw with people is they hold on to stuff too long. And we used to joke to clean out your closet, you'd have to find that time on a Saturday, pile everything into a bag or a box, and then you take it from there to like your garage where it would spend another few months, <laughs> and then it would get to your car, your trunk, you would spend another month, and then eventually it would get to the point. And Never well, experience that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we tried to say, let's go to the source. And so we send you a clean out kit. It's like a bag, holds a laundry basket where the stuff it sits in your closet and you fill it up prepaid label, we pick it up at your house and voila. So it made it real easy for the sellers. And then for buyers, just really changing the browsing experience to make it feel like you were shopping on Nordstrom or you were shopping on Amazon. And it was a nice, convenient, high quality experience. And so we thought that would bring secondhand into the modern era. 
are you one of these people who had a full closet? And that's what, <laughs> like, what, why yeah. fashion? I don't think I was ever, I never thought about fashion per se as a career. And to be honest, I actually don't think about ThreadUp as a fashion company. We actually are more of an operations and logistics company that happens to sell used clothing. Because like the core, our DNA is operations. The founding story for me actually was I was a poor graduate student. I didn't have any money. And I went to sell my clothes at a local consignment store and they wouldn't take them because they weren't luxury and we don't take these brands. And I thought that was just a broken system. And the real unlock for me was there was this J. Crew sweater that I handed them, this cashmere J. Crew sweater. And they're like, yeah, this is worth zero. I'm like, this can't be worth zero. And it's gotta be worth 20 bucks. It's just not worth 20 bucks to you or to me in this very moment. And I thought there was a big destruction of value out there. And so that was the genesis of how we got started. One of the questions I just personally have about moving online is quality control. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious to hear how you manage that, because that is the different experience between going to the thrift store versus... Yeah, it's a key part of what we do every day. There's a couple of ways we do it. So one is to the seller, the person sending us in stuff. We're very prescriptive around like what you should do. The number one thing to get your things accepted and resold is to wash it before you send it to us. So simple. And yet it is the thing. But then once we get it, we have this rigorous 12-point inspection process where we look at everything about the item. And it can be for a whole plethora of quality reasons, missing buttons or something has a stain on it or a tear or something. And so what we try and think about is what is the consumer going to expect on the buyer side? Like when they get it in their order, are they going to think, oh, this is high quality? And we use that as the standard. And that means that we reject a lot of stuff. And that's what gets you repeat customers. That's what gets us repeat customers. So let's talk a little bit about those customers in more detail, because obviously we talked about the younger generation wanting to engage in the sustainability trend. Who is actually buying? What does your customer base look like? Yeah, it's interesting. Every year, our average customer age gets a little younger. And when the business started, we were much more focused on older women, moms, kids. We have a big kids business. It's increasingly being dominated by 20-somethings right out of college or their first job because there's such great value in secondhand. And so the customer base, obviously, it's 99.99% women since we don't do men's clothes, which the irony is not lost on me as a guy. I have not solved my own problem yet. And the way that I often describe the customers, it's a customer in transition. And so what we find is somebody who may be going to college or they're coming out of college, they're switching jobs, they're moving to Ohio as Karen just did, right? There are all these things that or they just had a kid or they're going to have a kid. So all these various transition reasons are what drives people to buy secondhand. So the sustainability trend is obviously very top of mind for young consumers, but we also have this fast fashion trend. So how does that factor into your business? Yeah, it's a very conflicted generation, right? I think it's young people, Gen Z, millennials, they index on, I want to do the right thing for climate. I want to be more sustainable in my life. And yet it's also the generation that buys the most fast fashion product. And so I think it's ultimately about them managing that balance of fashion as a way to show their uniqueness and their delight on a daily basis. Social media drives a lot of this. And our hope is that sustainable fashion, secondhand, for example, helps them scratch that itch of like fresh and new and cheap, but in a way that's more sustainable. But it's a really interesting trend to watch. I don't know, Karen, if you're seeing some of that in your world. Absolutely. It is an interesting mental gymnastics, I think, (laughs) because the two seem to be fundamentally like at odds with one another. There's a thesis where you could say, if I'm reselling my fast fashion after I wear it, then I can get comfortable with being a positive contributor to the cycle or elongating the life of that particular product. But yes, it's tricky. 
So if we think more broadly, we're obviously in a pretty difficult macro environment right now. We have rising interest rates. We have lots of inflation, concerns about recession. So if you think about your customer base, are those factors affecting them or or actually is your business model a way to help consumers during this period? I mean, I think every apparel company today is being hit by the macro factor. It's a tough environment out there, given coming off of a 2021 where things were just booming and now to have sort of inflation and recessionary fears in place. I do think ThreadUp is probably weathering it better than some, specifically because ThreadUp, we didn't like quite talk about it like this, but it's a marketplace. Every item is a snowflake we talk about. So you can change price and payout. And so I think we can weather this apparel storm a little, probably a little bit better than the average company. But yeah, it's tough out there. And 60% of our customers make under $100,000 a year. And so it is something that's affecting them. And the American consumer is resilient. And I often tell people, people might sit out the apparel markets for three months or six months. We don't typically sit out apparel markets for one year, two years, three years. Like we're Americans. We shop, right? And people will be back. I think it's just a question of when and what kind of ferocity. And if anything, I think at some point, it's a place where potentially people who are struggling financially could come to you instead of buying new, you buy secondhand and get high quality secondhand. So I just wonder if over time you're going to see some shift in that direction. A tailwind of people trading in to secondhand as an alternative to where they might have shopped otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, I think relative to the broader fashion industry, various obvious headwinds, including inflation and fears about recessions. But one of the ways to combat that is to think about stretching your dollar maybe further. And so secondhand or resale is a way for consumers to think about doing that. Well, and one of the interesting things is that right now, because apparel retailers are sitting on so much inventory, there's real price compression across the apparel. Like everything's on sale. And I think a lot of retailers have come out publicly and said, hey, we're going to get rid of this stuff. We're going to wash through it. And so what you see is compression between secondhand prices and traditional apparel prices in the near term. A year from now, that won't be true. Right. Because we know apparel, new apparel prices are going to reset to where they were coming out of the pandemic. And that's, I think, to Karen's point, the real spot where all of a sudden threat up will be in position to like really create a lot of value, which is harder today in this sort of price compression <laughs> environment that we're seeing across apparel. And given your focus on operations, logistics, and all the technology that you've employed, how did that play out in terms of the pandemic and managing a lot of the shocks that came along with that? Yeah, the pandemic, it was tough because we do employ thousands of associates across our distribution centers. So we were navigating through it. But I think like what we figured out like very quickly is that our facilities were laid out actually to do social distancing. And we were able to process goods the same way we would process them pre-pandemic. What we did not anticipate, although you could argue we probably should have, is that everybody sitting at home was ready to clean out their closets. And so we had this massive surge of supply of people sending us stuff. And so at one point in the pandemic, it was taking close to 20 weeks, five months to process your bag. And it's not because we weren't working super hard in our facilities, but we just couldn't scale up fast enough. So that part was certainly challenging, but I think we've been able to navigate through it. And the scale at which you're operating is already like tremendous. The logistical jigsaw puzzle, (laughs) to put it plainly, of being able to do this at scale is something that as we had an opportunity to partner with the folks at ThreadUp through the course of the IPO and see the infrastructure that we built was just truly so impressive and such a competitive moat in terms of anybody being able to replicate that because it's really differentiated. 
Do you have some numbers on that, James? Like how many bags? Yeah, do you yeah, yeah. I think on the numbers, I mean, we're processing 100, 150,000 unique items every day. We're coming up on right. 150 million items processed, 35,000 brands, hundreds of categories. So it, it's a pretty big operation. And I think what speaks to some of the competencies is as we start to work with brands and retailers now, they come to us and many people say, well, why don't brands do resell themselves? And all it takes is for us to kind of walk them through the process or take them through one of our facilities. And they're like, man, we don't want to go anywhere near this because <laughs> it's an entirely new supply chain complexity around dealing with individual unique items. And I think we've purpose built that to do secondhand. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about the importance of brands in this sector and the role it could play and any other trends as really shaping the industry going forward. Yeah, I think the past 10 years has been dominated by third-party firms like a ThreadUp doing resale for the consumer. And I think that will play a big role for decades to come. But I also think that brands will start to realize that this is where the customer is going and wanting to shop secondhand. And it's obviously a way to meet their sustainability and circularity goals. And so my thesis is that over the next 10 years, you'll really see a lot of brands do this. And what we want to do is be the provider that helps them do that effectively in a scalable way. Because what I worry about is a brand that says they're doing resale and they're really just doing it for the PR benefit. Well, what we can't have is like the sort of a greenwashing moment. We really need brands to do this at scale. We power Walmart's resale experience. And these are brands that are like really staying by this commitment of circularity. And I give them a lot of credit for that. And so that's where I see the next few years going. But I don't think resale is a fad. I think it's a structural change in the way consumers shop. Karen and I have talked about it's very akin to off-price. There are companies like TJ Maxx, Burlington, Ross, they sell discounted goods from traditional retailers at low prices, where it was just a structurally new way that consumers shopped. And people forget we're 40 years into off-price. So what does resale look like 30 years from now? And I think it's a massive part of what consumers do. Karen, what are you seeing from your side in terms of this trend towards brands embracing resale? It's certainly a much bigger topic of conversation because as they're seeing where the consumer is going, they want to both participate from an economic perspective as well as have some control in terms of how their brands are being engaged with in the resale market. The challenge, as James was suggesting, is the logistics of how to make that work within their own infrastructure. In the early days of this evolution, a lot of brands will certainly opt to bring in a partner like a ThreadUp as they continue to explore because of the massive investment that would be required or the risk taking to be executing this on their own. But it'll be interesting to watch whether or not folks try and focus more on this from an internal perspective over time or continue to opt and say, look, having a partner who's got expertise in this area is going to be the most economical decision for my organization to get the benefits of it at a cost-effective methodology. What do you think the consumer retail space will look like in 20 years and how large a role secondhand fashion will play? Yeah, I just think shopping secondhand and reselling your clothes on ThreadUp or some platform that hasn't even been invented yet will just be part of what people do. So the same way that we recycle generally in our lives, I think clothing will be part of that. And I think our mission, our vision, right, is to inspire people to think secondhand first. So what I'm hoping is that whether it's 20 years from now, hopefully it's sooner, but it may take 20 years, <laughs> is that the consumer mindset is like, hey, I want a new dress or I need a new coat or I need a pair of boots. And they think, well, 
me just see if I can find them secondhand first. And we may not be able to serve you at every moment, every time, but I think if that's the mindset, then the world's going to be in a much better place than it is today. And by the way, I do think that's happening now, as you yeah. said, and as you've observed, but I'm a 40 something. I have a friend who basically every day is showing me yeah. what she bought resale online. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so look, it's catching on from my observation. <laughs> yeah. And a point of pride, like the mindset and the conversation has shifted so much, even in my own household. Like when you think about on the supply side of, okay, what am I going to do with these goods that no longer fit me or my child, or they need to find a new home? Like there's a guilt factor of disposing of them. These should go to somebody else. And it's a spectrum of, okay, like maybe there's a way to monetize this thing that has some value to get some residual benefit from it. And so I think that mentality, because of this dialogue around sustainability, as I said, infiltrating at all generations, not just the young people, is going to change the way we behave. And if on the supply side, it's changing my behavior, I think it will over time be more top of mind as they think about purchasing as well. Yeah, I think if you think of all these like consumer experiences from electric cars to impossible foods and like beyond meat, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you would have seemed like crazy. Like you bought an electric car, what are you going to do? And now it's the default experience. And I think California just announced like no more gas cars in 2035, which is a bit bold. I think so many of these experiences that we look at today as new and novel, 10 years from now, we'll be like, of course. Can you imagine a world where you didn't recycle your clothing? what? There was a time when you put it in the <laughs> trash and it went in the landfill? Like, oh yeah, yeah, dad, that was time. I just think it's sometimes hard to see that when you're so close to it. But when you zoom out, it's almost obvious like what the future will be. James, Karen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this Thursday, September 9th for another episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. If you enjoyed this show, we hope you follow on your platform of choice and tune in next week for another episode. Make sure to share and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more, visit GS.com and sign up for Briefings, a weekly newsletter from Goldman Sachs about trends shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.